good evening and welcome back to Driving Theology. This is Mike and this is going to be a, a somewhat rare these days evening edition. I'm driving back today. I started to record a podcast on the way to work but there was it was just just wasn't going anywhere and so I thought I would, would talk about something that did come to my mind uh, as we head back. Uh, I've been reading this book uh, that has to do with the idea of the cosmic or the universal Christ um, called Christ the Universal Tao. Uh, Tao is the Chinese word for <laughs> word, the word, right? The Tao became flesh and dwelt among us, for example. Uh, and it's a book by, uh, I, I might be wrong about this, but I think he is a Greek and or Orthodox, uh, a Russian Orthodox, Greek or Russian Orthodox, I can't remember which, um, priest, and he he has been studying the idea, I suppose, of the cosmic Christ, and, and he has found his way to a uh, Chinese philosopher who lived some 500 uh, years or 600 years before Christ. And what he has discovered is that this Chinese philosopher, even though he didn't know Christ and didn't know uh, the necessarily um, the God of the Jews by way of exposure to him, or, or he had never met Jews before because of where he lived in isolation in China, uh, somehow he still prophesied about the coming Christ and the reconciliation that he would bring to the world. And so this book is 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 based on that. It's a very interesting, interesting, in, inter, interestingly laid out book. Uh, it has a kind of a lengthy, well not lengthy, it's a, a brief introduction in first chapter and then it kind of goes into verse. Uh, and the, the writer is writing his ideas sort of in verse style, uh, bringing together the ideas of Lao Tzu, I think is his name, Lao Tzu, uh, bringing his ideas together with other various uh, biblical authors when they talk about the Christ, as well as uh, a little bit with the with the classic Greeks, uh, classical Greeks, uh, Socrates and, and Plato, and even, uh, some of the, I believe, Roman philosophers, Cicero, and things like this, and how they also. Uh, foresue or foreknew uh, that a, a uh, uncreated being uh, uncreated being um, the, the creator God uncreated himself uh, would finally reconcile the earth uh, to himself and so what <clears throat> what I can't even say his name Damascene Higher Monk, Higher Monk Damascene is his, is this uh, author's name, Higher Monk Damascene, and I don't know how to pronounce that, so it's probably completely wrong. Uh, of course, what he's trying to do uh, is the same thing that that I've been uh, discussing um, with you guys and 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 friends of mine, Pat, uh, for example, and Johnny and others, uh, is, is this idea that there is a cosmic Christ uh, and that there is there is literary evidence 
of Christ outside of uh, Judeo-Christian uh, scripture. Um, and, and so this book's actually been really, really, really interesting. Uh, a lot of good things, uh, a lot of good thoughts come from this book. Um, and I have to say, it looks like his hypothesis is true. Uh, that Lao Tzu, even though he was not in uh, the Middle East, uh, not in in, in uh, Israel, not in Babylon, not in Egypt, nowhere close to uh, the Jews, he still had knowledge of the Creator God and and his plan to reconcile the earth. Um, and not just him. Um, the way Higher Monk says, Oh, excuse me. The way uh, Hiermonk puts it is that Socrates also uh, believed in this uncreated creator God. And that one of the reasons that he was made to commit suicide was because he refused to worship the, the various Greek gods. Because he believed in, in his idea of God. As, as a single god, he was a monotheist, um, which in the in the in the eyes of of the Greeks made him an atheist, probably. Um, so, yeah, it's really interesting to 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 say that you know all of these people who who could see or were revealed God's plan before Christ. And, and this all happened kind of in a similar area, so, uh, sorry, a similar time period. So you've got uh, Socrates, you've got Lao Tzu, and you have people like, I think, Jeremiah, uh, maybe Isaiah, I should say, um, seeing and foreseeing God's plan. And in a sense, they were Christians before Christ. They, they, were, they were seeing... Uh, God's anointed uh, before he came and they believed in him and they proclaimed him even before he came uh, and so in a sense if you, if you you know think about that they were Christians before <laughs> before it was cool let's just say <laughs> which is uh, yeah um, and so yeah I, I think that's that's a really fascinating thing and I, I'll keep you uh, uh, um, informed on how the reading of this book goes. If if you want to pick up a copy uh, and read it with us, Pat's reading it at the same time that I'm reading it. Maybe maybe what we'll do when when we finish the book is to maybe record a podcast together with Pat and maybe some other people. Uh, if some of you guys want to read it, so I recommend it, especially. Uh, uh, Daniel in the States, uh, Mr. Wheat, uh, you may think about picking up a copy of that. I know you've been listening recently again, and I thank you for that. Uh, you're probably one of my most faithful listeners, um, and I appreciate your feedback um, on that. So, yeah, pick up a copy. It's interesting. It's it's a it's 
it's an out, out there concept. Um, but I think reading it together with friends uh, hopefully will have uh, a lot of benefit um, for, for you and for me. Uh, another thing, um, I did a podcast. I kind of want to go back and, and uh, listen to it. I haven't yet. I did a podcast, I don't know, maybe four or five months ago, I'm not sure, but about why, why is it that if, if Jesus created sin and death, why does sin and death seem to still exist? Uh, and <clears throat> this, this idea of what is, what is real, uh, has been popping up lately, uh, in, in theological studies and scientific studies uh, in the form of uh, um, kind of a Matrix type scenario. If you haven't seen the movie The Matrix, I recommend it. The Matrix is a, is a movie about how this world that we live in is not actually a real world. Real world, it's actually a computer simulation. And our minds are hardwired into uh, this uh, simulation and we live in this simulation as if it's the real world but actually there's a real physical world uh, that is much different than this one uh, that is real and so there's this there's this two layers of reality one one layer of reality is what's going on in our heads what we perceive as real but then the other layer is what is actually real uh, and in the Matrix, it's about people who are dis, um, what's the word, uh, unplugging, I guess you'd say, from the Matrix to find real life. Um, excuse me, and to live there. Uh, and so Neo is the chosen one. He's sort of the idea of the Christ, uh, a person who can live. Uh, in the simulated world and defeat the um, defeat the machine uh, it's, it's man against machine in the matrix sort of like the Terminator series um, but the machines are instead of having you know physical robots which they do uh, in in the real world but in the simulation uh, they are you know like the FBI agents or the police or uh, and they 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 have a vested interest in keeping humans connected to the matrix and in the simulation and, and not knowing that there's a, a real world beneath. So this kind of is like, you know, uh, Jesus alludes to another reality many times. The first thing that comes to mind is um, John 3 at the woman at the well. Uh, the disciples come back after he has had his conversation with the woman and they say, Master, you should eat. And he says, I have food that you know nothing about. Right? I think some translations actually say meat. I have meat that you know nothing about. Uh, and my food is to do, do the will of the Father. Right? And so, in a sense, he's kind of alluding to a at least a dimension of reality that his disciples couldn't see in which he he lived or at least uh, cohabitated, right? He, he lived in both the reality and, and, for lack of a better word, the simulation.
And and so the the question is today, and I think it was brought up in the same book. I don't I don't think this is something I found on the internet, but it's a good question. I'll have to look at that. Um, that sin is no more. Death is defeated. Satan has lost. That's all done. The, the work of Christ is completely finished. And so what we're seeing that doesn't look like that reconciled world today are lies. Uh, and not only lies, they, they are there because we don't have the ability to unplug. Right? We're, 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 we love the world too much. We can't let it go. And so, and so those of us who see sin or, or see problems or, or have fear, uh, we, we are believing the lies that are still residual in the world. Right? Somehow we, we can't unplug. We're not able to unplug from the simulation or from the matrix. Uh, and... And so there's this, okay, so I, I said science is actually talking about this. I don't know if it's science or pseudoscience. I haven't researched it, but I did come across an article or two about how some people who, who at least call them scientists think that there is evidence that the world that we live in is actually a computer simulation. Okay, it's not real, but somehow we are, we are perceiving a computer simulation okay and so that that has somehow made its way into science or pseudoscience or whatever it could be science fiction I have no idea but I've seen articles and read articles about that um, but not being a scientist myself I don't know that I would even understand whatever data they've used to come to this conclusion or at least to pose this hypothesis. Um, and so that's that's something that's happening happening in the secular world. Uh, and and in the in the spiritual world, I think we we have to acknowledge that this this must be true. Um, here we are two thousand years after Jesus completed his work and yet somehow we we still see sin and death and we're still worried about our behavior when you know the bible in several places says you know i i have put your sins far from you i i remember your sins no more uh this these are words uh attributed to god himself um Paul says, if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed, right? Um, for we are free in Christ. Uh, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. Um, so we are supposedly in Christ. We've been reconciled with Christ. 
and yet somehow, somehow or other, we, the world doesn't look that different. People are still doing horrible things, you know? There's still war, famine, and disease. Uh, there's still dishonesty, jealousy, greed, right? All of these things don't seem to have even taken a hit. Um, so something else is going on, right? We have to surmise that there's a layer of reality that we have a hard time perceiving and maybe learning to perceive that reality is, is where happiness and contentment uh, is to be found. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah. And there's a lot of, I mean, this is something that I think humans right now are wanting to explore more. Since the movie The Matrix, uh, we've had other movies uh, that have dealt with uh, layers of reality. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times it's, it's, it's uh, a dreamlike state as opposed to an entire other dimension. But it really comes to the same thing that this world we live in would be the dream uh, and the real world uh, where, where Christ has completed everything is reality. And so here we're in the dream. Which kind of talks about, you know, how Paul says, now we see as through a glass darkly, but then we will see him face to face, right? There's a, there's a veil pulled over our eyes. There's a filter which keeps us from seeing reality as it is. Uh, and as far as I can tell, death seems to be the portal through which we must pass to have that veil removed, um, which sounds kind of bad, but I think, I think there's, there's gotta be a way, there's gotta be a way that we can perceive it now. Uh, Paul talks about being taken to the seventh level of heaven, for example. Uh, I think he was granted visions uh, of, of things that, you know, he talked how he could not even speak of them. Um, that, that he couldn't he couldn't do it justice or couldn't describe it. I, I, I'd have to read that part again. Uh, it's, it's incredibly, obviously, mysterious uh, and, uh, you know, kind of enigmatic. Um, but I think that's what the real world would be to us, seeing it with our limited understanding and vision. I don't think we'd necessarily understand it um, but I think there is peace, peace to be had here in not recognizing sin for what it looks like with these, uh, physical eyes, right? I think, you know, when we see someone doing something bad, um, instead of disdain or punishment or uh, wanting revenge or whatever, uh, I think seeing that sin uh, doesn't, that we don't have to give in because sin does, 
no longer ha sin no longer has a real power over us. I think by by seeing those things that way, I think there is a lot of peace and joy to be found in this world. Um, the easy way to say it would, would be that we'd start giving each other a break. You know, we, we'd stop being so judgmental and realize that we all have a veil, uh, a veil of lies pulled over our face and navigating through Navigating through life with that veil over our eyes is incredibly difficult. Um, we don't want to lose vision, you know. Vision is exactly what we need, but vision is also can't be trusted, right? And so, you know, navigating that that uh, truth that we both need to see and we can't trust what we see. Very difficult thing for everybody. I think a lot less judgmentalism uh, is in order because of that. Uh, some of us maybe are farther along where we can understand um, <clears throat> the true nature of sin and therefore we can help others. Uh, but unfortunately, people kind of have to walk that road themselves. Uh, and I think far more important uh, than us giving others a break is that, you know, we need to kind of give ourselves a break too. You know, there's two sides to that. And I'm not talking about, you know, you have to love yourself first, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm not going to go into that. Uh, but... But I think it kind of starts... Actually, I'm going to backtrack. I think it starts where it starts. I think if you can... If you can... If, you know, the way that's open to you is that you need to start giving other people a break and forgiving other people and, and kind of embracing who they are regardless of how they act, uh, then do that. If you think you have to start with yourself, that, that you are a person who's very self-critical... Uh, then start with that. You know, I, I, I can't say which which direction, but I think both both directions eventually, if if there is uh, if if you are to find peace, you'll have to to face face it on both fronts, uh, both in other people and in yourself. And in a sense, you have to face it in God too. You have to come to terms with what you feel God has done or is doing in the earth. Uh, and you need to, you know, that has to be reconciled as well. A lot of people have very uh, bad feelings uh, or very, you know, they have a lot of hard feelings against God because of the way uh, different events have happened in their life. You know, whether it's lost loved ones or, uh, you know, being treated fairly or, or whatever um, tragedies in life uh, are real you know, right? in, in, in a sense they're real to you anyway uh, and and understanding and contemplating God's part in all of those things uh, will go a long ways toward how you know 
you give God a break, right? Are you able to forgive God? Are you able to understand, uh, first of all, um, what he actually does in the world and what he doesn't, right? I think a lot of things are blamed on God that God had no part in. Uh, that's a completely new paradigm shift for some people. But um, and the other part is when, when good things happen to you, right? When, when good things happen to you and you claim that God has blessed you or God has made this or that happen, uh, I think I'm kind of rambling now. Um, maybe losing my train of thought. But anyway, I think you have to come to terms with uh, God as well. God has a part in all this. Does he need to be forgiven by you? Can you, can you, uh, can you forgive him for the things you've blamed him for? Uh, as for me, uh, I've, I haven't had some of the tragedies that other people have had. I've had, you know, I've had my share, but I can't say that I don't know many people that have had it much worse. And I, I do know many people who've had it much worse. Um, <clears throat> but some of those people, as faithful as they are, still blame God for, you know, for example, taking their child. Uh, they might blame God for uh, the death of one of their children. They say, well, it was God's will. He wanted, you know, he wanted him in heaven something like that uh, and so at some point you know you've got to come to grips with that uh, you need to first of all decide if you can forgive God for his part in that uh, and then second of all start start really looking at what God does and what he doesn't do which actions can we blame on him and which ones can't we uh, and I think as you go down that road you'll find that there are other uh, forces in the world who, who, for whatever reason, God must navigate through, and not everything is his fault. Not everything is him uh, causing calamity, for example, right? Uh, Job had the famous saying, the Lord gives and the Lord takes, right? Uh, I don't believe Job, Job was right about that. I think Job was absolutely wrong about that. I think the Lord only gives. But I've that's the road I've been on and I've come to that to that um, what you would call it. Uh, sorry. Trying to navigate through this parking lot. I've come to that conclusion um, myself. My you know fifty years of life have brought me to that conclusion. Job actually had a faulty uh, paradigm of who God is and what God actually does in the world, right? What can be blamed of God and what can't be. And that's not Job's fault. I mean, that's just, that's where he was at the point he was at. You know, what are you going to do? Everybody's at a different point. Everybody understands more or less uh, of God. Um, and that's okay, right? There's nothing inherently wrong about having a faulty paradigm of God. The only thing wrong, I think, would be is, is believing yours to be perfectly right 
uh, and believing that you are that you contain all the truth and that everybody else should, um, you know, bow to your great knowledge. I think we all need to hold whatever we think we know lightly. Uh, yeah, and so, yeah, I think coming to terms with uh, yourself, your own sin, coming to terms with the sins of others, and then depending on your paradigm of God, coming to terms with with uh, f forgiving God or not. Uh, I think those are all uh, important things that will uh, probably start to help that veil uh, become thinner, become more opaque, even while you're on earth. I think I think forgiveness, which is another word for love really, uh, I think is the key to understanding uh, what is true and what is not. Um, you know, we have sayings like "love conquers all," and and uh, you know, Paul says in First Corinthians thirteen, he says, and you know, these three remain: faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love, and I think uh, love is so great because it is. Uh, it is a conduit of revelation. I think. I think through being loved, understanding how much uh, the Creator of the universe loves you, uh, and also seeing how your love of others can help improve uh, them. Uh, and I don't mean like self improvement. I mean, uh, you know, can make them more loving people. That, that love is a transformative power in, in the earth. Um, so I've kind of covered a few. I'm going to have to stop. I'm, I need to go in and get a few groceries here for my my daughter. She's homesick. Um, so I started with the, the book, right? The Christ, the Eternal Tao. Uh, and then went into some of these ideas of the cosmic Christ. And then the, you know, the, the matrix idea, the, the idea that, that, um, you know, what is real right now is, is what I'm seeing here, you know, cars and buildings and, and electrical lights and, and people buying groceries and consumerism and, you know, all of these things is, is this real or is this, you know, what I see because I have a veil pulled over my eyes? Um, and how much of the truth can I perceive while in this body um, before it becomes incorruptible right uh, before the uh, second death I guess first death second death I don't even know um, anyway yeah like I said I'm kind of rambling uh, I don't know if there's any good stuff in this or not um, I will leave it to you guys I'm going to go ahead and cut off and uh, we'll talk to you later Bye-bye.